everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples in Ocala, Florida. And uh, this is Pastor Michael Lockstamp for. And if you are keeping up with the podcast, if you're subscribed and this is current, then this is going to be a weird episode for you. And if you're listening back through the archives and it's, this is years afterwards, then this is going to be just a welcome uh, little blip in, in, um, in your listening pleasure. So... Um, what I'm doing today is I'm actually going back and replacing some audio that we lost. Um, we were doing the shiny thing series and when we got to the end of that, the very last episode and the very last sermon of the shiny things series, um, it, uh, the, the audio wasn't recorded. So the, the, the sermon was lost. The conclusion to the series was lost and that's bugged me a little bit for the last couple of weeks. And so what I want to do now is I actually want to pull up my outline, pull up my PowerPoint, and I'd like to preach this live for the podcast. So this is a special bonus benefit of listening to the podcast as you get to hear me kind of stumble uh, to myself as I try to re-preach a message to nobody in particular. Um, there's nobody in the room with me. So um so this is Shiny Things. This is the, the fifth and final installment of that series. And the title of the sermon is called The Good Life. And uh, it's interesting looking back at my notes because I apparently didn't write anything down for the, um, for the introduction to this. And so I'm not sure exactly how I got into uh, the, the sermon and tied it together to begin with. Um, but either way, I am going to make one up here. <laughs> Uh, the title, The Good Life, I know where that one comes from. There was actually a, uh, a song by a band that I enjoyed very, very much called The Good Life. And the, and the band was called Audio Adrenaline. And the, the gist of the song was that the good life of following Jesus isn't necessarily the good life that everybody else has in mind. Um, when, you, when you think of the good life, what are the things that come to mind for you? What, are, what would you say, yes, these are the things I do uh, or that I get that give me the good life. And the line in the song was, this is the good life. I've lost everything I could ever want or ever dream of. This is the good life. I found everything here in your arms and speaking of the arms of Jesus. So worldly pleasure and, and worldly things and success at your job and things like that aren't necessarily the things that are going to give you the good life. And that's a lot of what, um, Paul drives that from his own experience. Um, we've seen that there are these common distractions, these things that draw our attention away from the faith and the heartbeat of our faith, who is Jesus, and that he's completing the work that he started. And Paul's saying, look, like the lifestyle of somebody who follows Jesus isn't necessarily um, the one that the rest of the world is going to look at and admire. So if you would, uh, if you'd open with me, we're going to be in first Corinthians still, and we're going to be in chapter four and we're going to go through that whole chapter together. So first Corinthians chapter four, um, and I'm going to begin in verse one. I'll read these first seven verses here. First Corinthians chapter four, verse one. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. 
In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What did you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So we're going to pause there. Now, this is Paul, remember, writing to the church that he planned and the church that he started, and they've been separated for a couple of years, and he's trying to address these things that have distracted them from the main thing, which is the gospel, which is that Jesus has saved them and is delivering them. And uh, they seem to be a little bit confused about how they should regard their teachers and their leaders and their apostles and, and, and their, their leadership structure is a little bit confused. And so he gives them flat out instructions. You want to know how you should relate to me? This is how you should relate to me as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, so I don't know if you've ever thought about it necessarily this way when you go into a restaurant, but um, when you think about a waiter or a waitress, your server, um, you probably don't give much thought to the fact that a server doesn't own the restaurant. Your server doesn't own the table that you sit at. They don't own the silverware that you use. And and in many situations, the server had nothing to do with preparing the food. They didn't do the prep work beforehand. They didn't cook it. Um, the server's job is to take the food that the kitchen has prepared on the um, cutlery and the, and the, and the plates that belong to the restaurant owner and deliver them from one place to the other. And their whole job is just to serve. They are stewards. They are given something. They are given um, a meal and they're given that meal in order to deliver it to you, the customer. They are stewards. And if they, if they along the way, you know, eat some of the meal, like that's going to be a problem for you. If they along the way mm, add something to the meal, saliva or otherwise, then that's also going to be a problem. A faithful steward is somebody who takes what they have received and delivers it to the person that it's intended for without, um, without changing it. And that's what Paul's saying. You, you've got to consider me to be a servant. I'm taking what I have received from God, the mysteries of God. I'm taking them as I have understood them and I am delivering them to you to the best of my ability. Now, we know that different servants of God have different personalities and different personalities mean doesn't necessarily mean that the, the message or the content has changed. It's simply that it's delivered with a different personality. You've had waiters and waitresses that you just didn't click with, that you didn't have a personality that went along uh, or that you, that you got along with very well. And yet that didn't change necessarily the meal that you got. Maybe you were a little bit disappointed that you didn't enjoy the whole experience so much. But nevertheless, you got your meal, you ate your meal, the meal was either good or bad, and it wasn't necessarily because of the server. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm doing, I'm doing the best that I have. I've taken, um, I've taken what I was given and I'm delivering it to you. And it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Like, essentially, I don't work for you. To some degree, waiters and waitresses are, are accountable for the, um, 
are accountable for their customer's experience and they're accountable for their customer's feedback. But ultimately, the customer's not the one who's writing out the paycheck. Like they work for the owner of the restaurant and they're accountable to the owner of the restaurant. So Paul's saying, look, I don't work for you. You're not my employer. And so what if you don't think that I, that I did a great job delivering the food? I've done the best that I could do. And ultimately, it's not you that I have to please. It's the owner. It's the restaurant owner. It's the Lord. He says, I don't even judge myself. And I'm not aware of anything against myself. I think I've done the best job that I could. But I'm not thereby acquitted. He says, even though I'm not aware of anything that I've done wrong, that doesn't mean I haven't done anything wrong. It's the Lord who judges me in verse 4. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Like all of these things, there's going to come a day when there's a judgment and, and God is going to have a say in whether or not I did a good job, but maybe you won't. And that's okay. He says, I've applied all of these things uh, for your benefit. I want you to understand these things for your benefit. And I want, I've been quoting scripture um, throughout these first several chapters of this letter, 1 Corinthians. I've been quoting, quoting scripture in order that you might not go beyond what is written, that you may not be puffed up in favor of one against another. Like, don't you realize that all of these scriptures that I've quoted to you, like, this isn't stuff that I made up off the top of my head. This is the word of God that I'm trying to share with you. A server, uh, a, a, what's the word that he used? A servant of Christ, a steward of the mysteries of God. Servers takes care of the trust and delivers what's entrusted to them. So how do we see our leaders? Do we see our leaders as servants? Do we see them as entrepreneurs? And how do we see ourselves in God's economy if God has given us a gift and entrusted it to us in order that we might deliver it to those it is for. And if you've been given the gift and given the gift in order to share it, he asks this question in verse seven, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He says to the Corinthians, look, you're acting like you're all high and mighty. You've got all this spiritual insight. Don't you realize that everything you know, God taught you? And if God taught it to you, why are you pretending that you came up with it? Let's, let's, let's continue reading in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So you remember, this is the guy who planted the church. And he's saying, look, you guys have a lot of things going for you. You're in a wealthy city and you're able to study together and you're, you're making, uh, you're, you're trying to figure out the word of God. Um, but 
those things shouldn't be puffing you up. Those things should not be the things that you're proud of. And, and he says of himself, he says, look, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to follow God. And that has not been pleasant. See, we admire a comfortable lifestyle, but following Jesus leads to severe discomfort. He says, look, nobody takes, not, not that nobody takes me seriously, but don't, don't you understand that, that nobody quite understands what it is that we're trying to do here? That I'm a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. So people outside the church don't get why I'm doing what I'm doing. People inside the church are giving me a bunch of flack for what I'm trying to do. And angels themselves are just sitting there scratching their heads. When we see a homeless person on the side of the street who doesn't have two dimes to rub together, do we look at that person and say, wow, that person could be serving as an apostle? Probably not. But he, but he describes himself to the present hour. We hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He says, look, 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 I don't have a lot of money and that's not necessarily a problem, but I want you to understand that I don't have a lot of money. And there's this, a sermon series that I heard recently. There's just an excellent series is done by um, Grace Church out of Bath, Ohio, Grace Church Bath Campus called God and Money. And the pastor there said this, and this makes so much sense and it's so applicable to what we're talking about. Um, money is never about money. Money is always about a reflection of your heart. Money is never about money. Money is always a reflection of your heart. See, material wealth points to the spiritual heart of the person that's spending it. It's really easy to say that I value X, Y, and Z, but when it comes to it, am I spending my money on X, Y, and Z, or am I spending my money on BDF? I don't know if those things stand for anything. I'm just using those things as an example. If you say that you value something, but you don't actually put your money where your mouth is, then everybody knows you don't actually believe that. Money's never about money. It's a reflection of where your heart is. Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you value are the things that you spend money on. And so when we read this passage and we think about a homeless person, a distressed person, do we think about how that person could be serving God and serving God well, that they could be living the good life? We admire a comfortable lifestyle, but following Jesus leads to severe discomfort. There's not, it's not for no reason that he says that if you want to be my disciple, you pick up your cross and you carry it. And the question I want to ask is, what is your internal reaction to reading those verses? Like when you read those verses and you hear Paul describe his lifestyle, what is your internal reaction? How do you feel about yourself and your own lifestyle when you hear what Paul is going through? And then the question is, what is your internal reaction to reading these verses say about what you truly value? Do you value the gospel of Jesus enough to give up everything to proclaim it? It's a hard question to answer. I think 
especially in our, our Western culture, it's, it's difficult to live within an American culture where there is so much abundance and not be distracted by that kind of a lifestyle and wanting to pursue the next new thing that's coming out. I want you to feel that tension, but I don't want you to stay in that tension because of what he says next. Let's look together in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? See, Paul is saying, look, I don't, I don't write all these things to shame you. My goal is not to make you feel guilty about the lifestyle that you have, but I need to make you feel this tension to correct a misaligned mindset. You think that because you have material blessings that God is blessing you spiritually, and those two things are not tr- true. Material blessing does not equal spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing does not equal material blessing. And he's saying, I'm writing these things to you as your father. You've got a lot of, I'm not your only pastor. I know that. I'm not the only person who's ever going to pastor you. You have countless guides in Christ. But don't you remember that I was the one who planted the church. I was the one who preached to you the gospel first. I was the one who even introduced you to Jesus. And I care about you like a father cares for his children. I don't want to shame you, but I want you to think correctly about your place in God's kingdom and in God's economy. Because God's economy is not the same as the economy of the world that you live in. And Paul has some difficult things to address. And, and our next series is, is the dead inside series. And there are some hard things that Paul has to say. And he's saying, look, I'm going to come and we're going to talk about this. But I'm giving you the option. I'm giving you the grace. I'm telling you the problems that you need to fix. Because when I come, I'm going to have to deal with it. And what do you wish in verse 21? What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Because fathers do both of those things. Fathers will sometimes correct in love and kindness and in having a conversation and going for a walk. And sometimes a father is called on to correct people with severe discipline, with a rod. So I'm giving you the option. I'm telling you up front what's going on and the ideas that you need to correct, the thinking that you need to correct. And I'm giving you the option of how our conversation, how our relationship goes from here on out. But there's one thing that I'd like to point out to you, and, and we kind of went over it pretty quickly, but I think that this is, is a crux. Like, look at what Paul said. He said, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
He says, look, I've put it all on the line. I'm, I'm out here. I'm living homeless. I'm getting beat up. People are talking bad about me all the time. But I'm doing it to set an example. I want you to live. I want you to follow me. If you want to be closer to Jesus, then walk the way that I'm walking. And so the question for us, Grace, becomes, would anybody be closer to Jesus if they chose to imitate how we lived last week? For real, like think about your lifestyle. Think about the things that you did, the decisions that you made last week. And if somebody imitated how you lived last week, would they be any closer to Jesus? Because we admire a comfortable lifestyle, but following Jesus leads to severe discomfort. And they're not preaching it on the TV. I'm sorry that they're not, but this is in the Bible. (laughs) I can't get around it. So how should we consider one another in God's upside-down economy? Not only our leaders, which we should regard as servants, but how do we regard each other in God's upside-down economy? Where the cross of Christ is our banner. What does how you treat your wallet tell you about what God wants to do in your heart? Your wallet has a, a, a very gifted way of cutting to the root of what you value. And so how you treat your wallet might be an indicator of what God wants to do in your heart right now. And the big question is, would, would anyone be closer to Jesus if they chose to imitate how you lived last week? Fathers, would your children be any closer to Jesus? Mothers, your children. Students, would your, would your classmates be any closer to Jesus if they lived the way you lived last week? Could we say, could we look to somebody and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? I want you to live the way that I live. It's a hard word, but it's something for us to consider together as we close up this series. Thanks for listening. If we haven't met yet, hope to talk with you soon.